Hi, welcome here and welcome home. I am so excited that you have chose to join us this morning. Some of you may recognize my face. I've done some hosting and some announcements, and John said this is brand new for me, and since we're going to be spending some extended time together, I thought I would just give you a little insight into who I am. I have been attending Circle um, for the past 10 years, and I'm really passionate about discipleship and walking alongside others. As John mentioned, I'm married to Tim Bloom, who is wildly adventurous and passionate about all things outdoors. And we have two daughters, our fiercely independent three-year-old Olive, who is passionate about all things unicorns and glitter and pink, and our almost 18-month-old Hazel, who is passionate about anything that belongs to her sister. I am also a teacher. Um, I teach grade five, six in Purdue. We are continuing to walk through the Advent season together. And for those of you who maybe that term is unfamiliar to you, Advent is just simply a word that means coming or the arrival, and in this case, the arrival of Christ at Christmas. And we light candles because Jesus is the light of the world, and where there is light, there cannot be darkness. And so we relight our candles for hope, we relight our candles for peace. And this morning we are going to light a candle for love. We're all good. Fire. I'm going to walk away now. And before we start, I'm just going to take a minute to pray. God, we thank you for your coming at Christmas. We thank you that it doesn't matter how faithful we are in our waiting, because we're often not. We are impatient people, but you are faithful in your coming. We pray that you would open our hearts to that coming today. Amen. At Christmas in church, one of the staple things that we see is the nativity scene. Growing up, our nativity set was always one of my favorite Christmas decorations. And the one that I grew up with was made by my mom in a ceramics class decades ago. And there may be a picture of it coming up on the screen. Maybe. There it is. Um, so it's a, it's a beautiful set, but obviously not one for interacting with. If you look really close at the back shepherd, you will see a pipe cleaner where a delicate staff used to be. And all of us are, from, for the most part, probably familiar with the nativity scene, the characters, Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, the wise men, the donkey. We know their stories. But this morning, I want to draw our attention to whom, who I think has become a bit of a forgotten figure in the Christmas story. Can you guess who that might be? At Advent, our attention is drawn to the arrival of Jesus, who is our Savior, our Redeemer, and our King. But we wouldn't have a Christmas story without the Almighty Father, the one with infinite wisdom and relentless love. He doesn't show up in our nativities and isn't often sung about in our traditional Christmas hymns. And today, my hope is to bring him to the forefront as the author 
of this magnificent story. And the Christmas story starts at the very beginning. In the beginning, God created. He created the world, and most importantly, he created us in his image, Imago Dei. Some of you may remember that term that Pastor John mentioned a few weeks back. And we are shown the significance of this image bearing a little further on in the creation story when the relationship between God and his creation, Adam and Eve, is fractured. Now, Adam and Eve have just eaten the fruit that God specifically asked them not to do. The the only thing that he put off limits in the garden. And in Genesis 3, 7 to 8, we find them. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord called to them, where are you? So God had never had to go looking for Adam and Eve before. He was heading in their direction like he would have any other day, seeking them out to spend time with them. And God's question at the end when he couldn't find them, when they were hiding, is a heartbreakingly relational one. Where are you? Like a question you might ask of a distant spouse, or a wayward child, or a drifting friend. Where are you? Why is there space between us? You see, in their hiding, Adam and Eve no longer wanted to be with God. They didn't trust him. And they chose separation over intimacy because his presence revealed their shame. And yet, how did God approach them that day in the garden? The all-knowing father who already knew that Adam and Eve had been disobedient. Now, for those of you who are parents... Imagine for a moment your response when you come into the room and see a wall covered in Sharpie or broken shards of a family heirloom on the floor or really any number of moments where your child has been disobedient. Can you feel your blood starting to boil and that anger start to rise as you're trying to calm your response and not lose it? But one commentary I read pointed out the startling nature to which this father approached his disobedient children. God came patiently. He knew that they had messed up, but he didn't rush to them immediately with condemnation. He waited until the end of the day. But he also came with care. He didn't wait until it was dark, a time that can instill fear and trembling. And he came to them personally not a booming voice from above, not a messenger sent to them. He came to them face to face, not with explosive anger, not in a way that induced shame. He came as their father, and as they hid, called, where are you? And this father who created the world was heartbroken at how quickly and easily his image bearers would reject his love and friendship. But love is patient. And though God's plan took time, 
you will read in the Old Testament that he did not abandon his people. Our Father lovingly walked with those people, his slow to listen, quick to reckless behavior people until the time was right. Zephaniah 3.17 reads, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty Savior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Now let's return to the present for a minute. When we think of Christmas, it's easy to think about all of the things that we love. Setting up the tree, eating or baking um, those Christmas treats, listening to 92.9 The Reindeer, getting together with friends and family. But for a lot of us, Christmas can be really hard. Perhaps you've lost somebody during the holiday season. Perhaps you're not on speaking terms with somebody you used to be really close with. Or perhaps you have a long list of unanswered hopes and prayers that you become acutely aware of in a season where we're told we should have hope and joy and love and peace, that all should be merry and bright. Rich Volodas says in his book, The Good, the Beautiful, and the Kind, in God's loving hands, our wounds become sources of healing for ourselves and others. God wastes nothing, not even our deepest pain. God wastes nothing. I love this quote. When we place our wounds, no matter how deep, in the hands of the Father, he knows exactly how to bring about that healing. The Lord also knows that we were never meant to do life alone. He created us for community with others so that we could be known and loved and healed through the stories and prayers of others who have walked faithfully before us and alongside us. And so, Pastor John mentioned the sharing of stories. And may I get personal with you for a few moments. I have two very contrasting Advent stories that I feel compelled to share with you today. And in my story, I hope that you will find connection, and I hope that you will see God. It was just after Christmas of 2016 when Tim and I decided that we were ready to start a family. And for those of you who have been there, or are thinking about being there, you know it's a time, not unlike the Christmas season, of anticipation of what is to come. However, one month turned into two months, turned into a year. This wasn't what we had planned. And with each passing month, my soul grew a deep wound. Where are you, God? And then one year turned into nearly two. It was December of 2018, and the Advent season was upon us. And I was sharing with Pastor Wayne some of the things we were going through, and he counseled us to let others into our story and to use the Advent season as a time of prayer and petition before the Lord for our long-awaited child. And it was hard, hard to let those closest to us into that vulnerable space But all that we received from those people was God's love. 
and this gets me every time, on December 25th of 2018, I found out that I was expecting our first child. A miracle to us sent from heaven, prayed into my womb that Advent season, and all of Aria would join our family in September of 2019. Fast forward two Christmases later in 2020, I was once again expecting. On December 15th, I went for my first ultrasound appointment and the tech turned the screen and said, this is gonna be a little overwhelming. You see, in my womb there were three tiny homes for three tiny babies. And we lost our first baby before we even knew of its life. Gone in what felt like a moment, all that was left was the space where its life had started and ended immediately. And once again, we found ourselves calling on our closest community to petition for the other two lives still there, to pray for a miracle that we knew our God was big enough to give us. But we would lose another one two weeks later. Yet the giver of life is still good. He was still on the throne, and we know that his is the first face that our two babies saw. And we found ourselves stuck in this juxtaposition of loss and life, because even as we struggled in our grief and sadness at the unanswered prayer, there was still a miracle baby growing inside me, and Hazel Esme Marie would join us in July of 2021. In Isaiah 43, we read, but now this is what the Lord says. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you and called you by name. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Church, it can be easy to trust in a loving Father when he grants us that miracle that we've been waiting for. But just because he did not answer our prayers in the way that we were hoping does not mean that he did not walk alongside us with love. It was in those moments of waiting for a child and in losing our two children that we felt overwhelmingly loved by God. And even though our trust in him sometimes wavered, he never wavered in his faithfulness or love for us. Amen. I wanna take a minute to talk to those of you who know and love Jesus. God is very clear about love in the Bible. In 1 John 7, 7, he says, it reads, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is our calling. To know God is to love God and to love God is to love others. The knowing of God, though, can only be found in his word. 
I was listening to a podcast where they were talking about FBI training and specifically about the training in counterfeit bills. And I was surprised to learn that when they're undergoing their training, they're not actually given counterfeit bills to study. They're given the real thing. They study it so that they will know it inside and out, and therefore they will know the counterfeit because they can't compare to the original church. To know God and his love is to spend time with him. To know his love so intimately, just like the FBI know the real bills, that we aren't persuaded by loves that don't last. The love of accumulation, the love of power, the love of striving. And additionally, as we get to know God's love, we are able to recognize the depth of brokenness around us. And that positions us to love others really well. Who might the Lord be directing your heart to extend love to this Christmas season? Is it opening yourself up vulnerably in order to make connection? Is it tangibly giving gifts to those who've been hit hard in this economic situation? Or is it responding to the call of of inviting somebody into your home who will be alone at Christmas? Brothers and sisters, we are here to tell as many people as we can about how God has saved us, how he has loved us, and how he continues to choose us again and again despite our unfaithfulness and unbelief. Our own God stories of love are what is going to change lives. And as our time together draws to a close, I wanted to share a drawing with you that hangs in my home. This was given to me by a friend to put up in Olive's room. And at first I thought it was kind of an odd choice to put in a baby's room. But then I remembered a conversation that her and I had together while I was still pregnant with Olive, with all of that waiting and expectation that came with her arrival. And I was dreaming out loud about all of the characteristics I hoped that she would get from both Tim and I. I hoped her to be relational and passionate and brave. But then the conversation took a turn and I started to think about all of our not so great qualities that I hoped she wouldn't inherit. And I wished out loud in that moment that she wouldn't have to experience sin. And I expected my friend to immediately agree with me. But she paused and she said, but Danae, if she isn't a sinner, then she won't know her deep need for the redeeming love of Jesus. And isn't that what this image shows? We see two women back in the garden, the place of betrayal and shame. It's written all over Eve's face. She has forgotten that this was also the place where she was made, made to be in communion with the God of love who created her. And on Eve, we also see her one hand still clutching that fruit, that symbol of the moment that she chose sin over God. And isn't that just like us? 
we hold on to patterns that ultimately only lead to frustration and disappointment. And I wonder if, in clutching that fruit so closely to her, we could draw the conclusion that it is also equally difficult to share those messy, shameful, hurtful, frustrating parts of our lives, even with the people who would only look at us with love. And then I look to Mary, her eyes gazing lovingly past that fruit and into Eve's soul, seeing her, a look of comprehension and compassion, just as she has received God's mercy, so she is able to look at Eve with the lens of mercy. And as Mary pulls Eve's hand, which presumably had been clutching that fruit, to her swollen belly, Eve experiences the heartbeat of the loving, living God in flesh. Her past mistakes do not define her. Lastly, we come to the serpent. Returning back to Genesis 3 where we started, God already is giving us a window into how he, in love, is going to redeem the world. He says to the serpent, the whole cause of the deception in verse 15, and I will cause enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God is promising in Genesis the moment after sin enters the world, that an offspring of Eve, Jesus, carried by Mary, God in flesh will defeat the serpent, defeat our sin and our shame and our brokenness. He is our loving redeemer. And that is why that print hangs in Olive's room. And the ultimate reason for the Christmas story. And as one Christmas song says, it's for those hearts so prone to wander and for these feet so quick to flee. God is here and love is reaching for the least and the lost of these. So if we take a quick minute to revisit where we've been together this morning, we started with a reminder that God the Father is the author of the love story at Christmas, and he is the author of your story, all of it, even the parts that you would rather keep close. Secondly, God has made us for connection. And as we share our stories, God's thread of love throughout all parts of it can bring healing not just to ourselves, but to others. And lastly, his love compels us to extend that love to others. And I just have one last thought for you. Just as God showed up in the garden, lovingly and heartbreakingly asking, where are you? He is asking that of each of us today. Where are you? not in shame, not to punish us, but that we would return to relationship with him, walking alongside him, 
loving him because we were made in his image and God is love. And therefore, we were made to love. Advent truly is about God's love for you, his deep longing for friendship with you. God in Christ is pursuing you at whatever length necessary so that you, we, me, can experience his loving friendship forever. And isn't that the longing we all have at our very core, to be known in real, authentic, and loving friendship? And so as we anticipate God's faithfulness in Christ's coming at Christmas, his love is the gift being offered to you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, for making us in love and making us for love. We pray this season that we would feel that deep love, that we would receive that gift that you have given us and that we would then in turn extend it to others. We pray these things in the loving, redeeming light. Name of Jesus. Amen.